The following podcast is completely fictional. All of the characters, even those based on real people, are fictional. They are just impressions by a weird dude talking to himself for your enjoyment. Hola, bramigos. What up, everybody? It's Above the Dave. It's another week of the Lot Scene Podcast. Today, I am going to be talking about my favorite Grateful Dead show. Uh, just realized what it was, and I'd like to share it with you. We're going to have a guy named Clive come into the studio. He is the author of a new book, and it's called Ground Score to Success. And we want to hear all about his new book and get those tips on how to ground score our way to success. Next, we are going to hear a clip of the Disco Biscuits as performed by the Prison Pajamas from a recent gig at a middle school. And finally, we are going to speak with Goose multi-instrumentalist Peter Ansbach. So bag it, tag it, and sell it to the butcher in the store. It's another episode of The Lot Scene. Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, Yeah, I want to talk about The Grateful Dead for a little bit today because I just realized that I have a favorite show of The Grateful Dead, and and I'm happy about that. I, I finally found the one that I can put above all the other shows. And I guess it's not that surprising, really, because it's actually a lot of people's favorite show. Uh, and it's not the Cornell 77, but it is a very commonly celebrated show. And the thing about it is I didn't know it was a celebrated show. And and I'll kind of explain when I was a kid, just kind of finding out about the Grateful Dead, it was like a perfect time and a terrible time to find out. I like the Grateful Dead on one hand. It was perfect because I was like 14, 15 when my friends, you know, eighth, ninth grade, started smoking weed, started wearing tie-dye shirts and listening to the Grateful Dead. And, and that's what kind of got my attention was that I had friends who were playing in bands and then they started playing Grateful Dead music when we would hang out. And uh, honestly, my first impression of the Grateful Dead was, hey, uh, yeah, these guys are pretty good to, uh, to fall asleep to, you know, they're, they're cool when we have sleepovers and someone puts on the Grateful Dead and and then we smoke some weed and then we and then we just and then we just pass out that's what i associated with with the grateful dead i i didn't i didn't uh i didn't think that the music was especially uh loud and uplifting and you know this is 1994 1995 so there was plenty of great rock and roll at that time i was like huge into smashing pumpkins and nirvana and all that stuff that was happening so to hear the grateful dead 
for me, my first impression was, hey, this is cool uh, for taking naps. Great for taking naps. It's also unfortunate timing because this is right when Jerry Garcia dies. So, you know, I think that played a role in me putting forth like a too much effort into understanding the band because there were so many other bands that were were rocking and whether were, whether it was grunge bands or alternative bands uh or you know really quickly soon after was was fish and other jam bands almond brothers so i just took interest to the bands that you know right at that time were playing live music and and so grateful dead was always there i got into their studio stuff in high school uh, I list, I went back and did Working Man's Dead and, you know, Blues for Allah. And I, and, I, and I did all of that not because my friends were listening to The Grateful Dead, because they were listening to all the other stuff, too. I think the, the person that actually pushed me into the, into the Grateful Dead was a woman named Elise. And Elise was, for a short period of time... Uh, the nanny for me and my siblings. I am the oldest of four. Uh, at that exact same time, 95, my parents are splitting up and my mom came out of the closet and my family was in, just split up and my dad needed help with four kids. And so he brought in uh, a few different ladies to live at the house and like drive us to school and soccer and all that shit. And, uh, and the coolest nanny we had by far was this woman, Elise, who was like huge for me because you know I'm I'm a freshman in high school I just want to be cool I just want to fit in my mom just came out you know and anything related to gay uh you know I just wanted to steer as far away from so you know I didn't want any attention I didn't want any negative press I didn't want any uh, a reason for people to make fun of me and you know unfortunately back then anything you know possibly related to gay was was uh top of the list for everybody uh, to make fun of. So uh, people who were gay didn't come out until college at that time and and uh, to avoid ridicule and, and, and my and my mom being gay, that was close enough for me. I was I was trying to keep that away from all my friends and and uh, and then here was this woman uh, who would pick me up and, and drive me where I needed to go when I needed to go places and while my dad worked and my and my mom worked and I I liked her. She was cool, and she played The Grateful Dead, uh, which I thought was cool. She, we had, she had a little tape player in her car, and so we drove around. She played The Grateful Dead all the time. What was cool about Elise is that she had a gay mom, and she told me, basically, that she gave me the It Gets Better talk uh, for kids who have gay parents. And she, you know, has a gay mom, and, and she says, oh, man, you know, it was, it was awkward for me when I was a kid, but, you know, now I'm older, and, you know, me and my mom were super cool, and we joke about it, and it's all good, and, and I'm like, nah, it's never going to be like that for me. It's always going to be embarrassment, and she says, no, 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 you'll, I'll, you'll see. It'll get better, and I don't know. It was just cool having an older person give me some perspective on this uh, very kind of traumatic moment uh, for us kids. And I don't think she had that talk with the other kids because they were a little younger. So, you know, I was of age where we could kind of be cool and talk about some stuff. And, you know, I expressed interest in also the, the music that she was listening to. And I'm pretty sure that what she was listening to was without a net. So I, I got some of the stuff I thought I needed to get in terms of albums of, of the dead in high school. Yeah, I got the blues for Allah. I got, you know, Mars Hotel was huge for me and my friends. And, you know... 
listened to other stuff, live stuff of theirs, of course. But it really was Elise when she was playing it in the car where I guess I really was was exposed to more of their live stuff than I ever was before. And I was really digging it. So so Elise, she moved on after a, a short amount of time to, you know, to another family or whatever. But she, uh, but yeah, she always stuck with me. One, because of the, the great talks that she gave me and the great perspective. And she was right uh, when it came to things getting much cooler uh, with my mom. And, uh, and yeah, I wish I could see her now and uh, talk with her about that because those, those talks were profound for me. And, and secondly, for, for really being the one to get me into the Grateful Dead and, and doing it with the album without a net which I then bought. So she leaves. I buy it on tape and cruised around listening to Without a Net nonstop. And I loved this so much. 1990, Grateful Dead was, I was just absolutely loving it. And there was no track that I loved more than The Eyes of the World from that album. And there is still no Grateful Dead track that I like more than the live version of Eyes of the World from Without a Net. And I've always felt that way. I always felt that way and I and I just loved it so much. I thought it was just the the peak for me of of my personally what I what I like to hear from this band. And I knew that that's probably because of whoever's playing that saxophone. Uh, and I I I think I eventually looked into it years and years after I probably was like you know what I, I love that version so much who was that guy and then I probably looked it up and saw oh, it's this guy Brentford Marsalis okay cool you know and didn't think and then did no more research on it at all and uh you know decades go by I I didn't even realize until recently I didn't even think to look into this show until recently and because I guess I just assumed that like every guest, you know, that sits in with someone that it's just like a one-off, one-song type of thing. I, I didn't realize it was it was way bigger than that. So yeah, if you're hearing this and you like The Grateful Dead, you're, you're probably realizing at this point what my favorite show is. Yes, it is March 29th, 1990. It is Nassau Coliseum with Branford Marsalis, the infamous, uh, very heavily celebrated show uh, in the Grateful Dead catalog. I just didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that 329.90 was a big deal, was a was a legendary show. I I guess I most of my friends and most of my attention of Grateful Dead live shows to be honest, like in college and beyond was was late 60s, mostly early 70s. My I was always a big fan of 72, 73, 74 especially. And then yeah, 77, 78. Um I've always enjoyed the 80s actually too. For for there was something more lively about the '80s, something I don't know, like that synthesizer stuff. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Brent Midland. On one hand, I know that he was someone near and dear to Jerry, and and someone that Jerry loved playing with, and I think kind of like lit a bit of a fire with the band, and kind of took them into that next uh, decade plus of music. And I know that he's an essential piece of the story and the progression of their sound. And sometimes that sound in the 80s was awesome. And I would listen to 80s shows and I knew that Brent was the reason that there was something kind of cool and different and magical about it 
compared to all the stuff I was normally listening to growing up, uh, 60s, 70s, dead. I knew that Brent was responsible for that. However, the the hate part is the is the fucking little tykes fucking piano sound. I'm so, and I know like the eighties were like this beginning uh, of synthesizer fucking period, but like everybody was playing different synthesizers and keyboards, and you know some of the sounds are a little cheesy, right? So sometimes you hear some stuff from the eighties, and you're like, wow, that's some like really cheesy ass synth sounds. But like, I'm kind of a synth guy. Like, I, I obviously I love the disco biscuits, so I, I'm I'm into fucking dope keyboard sounds. Uh, but I'm I also cringe so many times when I hear what sounds like just Brent just bashing away at a, on a little tykes fucking keyboard. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like just the cheapest fucking piano sound. Like the rest of the band sounds like a professional fucking machine and then brent is in the corner like like a child just just pattering his fingers uh on some type of uh tinny sounding like little <laughs> little piano it i don't know you know what i mean you know that sound i'm talking about it sounds fucking terrible i i'm sorry like when he's playing i just wish Someone could have fucking said something and been like, hey, bud, love some of that cool synthesizer stuff you're doing. Hey, hey, do me a favor. Uh, when it's piano time, play a real fucking piano. Like just we can afford one. You can have a you can have a, a grand piano up there. And when you want to play your little keyboards and organs, you know, what the fuck is that sound? <laughs> I can't I will never get over it. I will never get over how much that Brent Midland piano sound sucks. Uh, it just turns me off. It it just makes the band sound like like some type of cheesy saloon sounding fucking act in a, in a in a Disney ride. Like, I, what the fuck is that? That's awful. That how did that go on for so long? How did no one just be like, dude? Just can you play a can you play an adult size piano or one that sounds? What is that? Jesus. So that's, yeah, obviously, yeah, I got some, I got some hate for it. Uh, but here's the thing. The show 32990 is chock full of that sound. And I am going to excuse it. In fact, I'm just gonna enjoy it. At this point, I've heard it so much that it's like, I don't know, like, it's like anything. I guess if you hear it enough, you just kind of like accept it or like you've listened to enough 80s dead. It's just part of the sound at that point. I didn't know that Branford Marcellus, I didn't know that he actually played the last song of the first set and the entire second set uh, of 329.90. I just knew of Eyes of the World from Without a Net. And I recently found out that I can listen to the whole show that he was on. And that made me so excited because I was like, holy shit. And I listened to the to the whole show a few times now. And even the first time I listened to it, I go, holy shit, this is my favorite Grateful Dead show. This is it. What what Branford does with this band, I, I do believe it is his playing that elevates the band and makes them play at a different level. But I'll also admit that before he even took the stage that night, that that band was was fucking killing it jerry just sounds immaculate it's just perfect every note perfect the tone perfect this guy was just on his fucking game that night and then branford comes out and just perfectly compliments everything jerry's doing and it just goes on 
for the entire second set. It is, it's the peak for me. I wish I didn't wait so long in my life to investigate you know, now, uh, this past year, you know, pages on Instagram were posting about this show. And I was like, man, how did I go so long not knowing about this? Like, I, I it's just, I think it's just Grateful Dead 101. And I just, uh, I just, I mean, I knew about Cornell 77, right? I just knew about that. And I, and I knew I, some of the, some of the other kind of highlight type shows. But yeah, what's kind of cool is that. Bramford, this was his first time ever playing with the dead. He played with them five times. This was the first and legendary one. And 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 from his opinion, too. I mean, his opinion is that this was the most magical and, and the best of, of his of his sit-ins. Um, maybe because he didn't really know what was going on. In fact, he didn't even know really anything about the Grateful Dead music. Uh, there was nothing really prepared. Uh, he came in because Phil Lesh liked him and wanted him to sit in with the band. So... Bramford flew in and met the band that night and hung out and kind of watched the vibe as they played that first set. And they basically said, yeah, come on for the last song of the first set. And he comes out and they were like, yeah, we'll just jam. And he didn't know the songs that they, they played bird song. And, you know, it's just the most incredible bird song. It's just so good. It's so good. And I know they all came back and they were all just buzzing it, it, during set break being like, whoa, don't go anywhere. Come just come play w- with us more like you you are really gelling with this band and that's so cool because that's like come on we've seen so many sit-ins with our bands and like they can be pretty cool but like to like keep going and going and going and like that guy the guy doesn't even know the songs like at least a lot of times you see like some guest come on stage with your band they're going to do a cover that they all know or they're going to do a, a song that everybody rehearsed together or something it's not just hey come on stage and you'll figure it out like <laughs> that that's fucking awesome i love that about this show that it really was magic like it really was a a, a kid who was 29 uh, and he came on stage and he you know is with these these legendary musicians and he just made he just put himself on the map for the dead community and and i know that it did a lot for his career and a lot of crossover fans who went to go see him uh, perform with his jazz groups uh, and it's really just a, a great story and that he you know and he said that there were other shows that they did together and and uh, you know there were there were times where it went great and there were times where it, as he put it it totally imploded and but not that not this night not on March 29th 1990 this was uh, this was one of the best Grateful Dead shows of all time uh, again if you're a dead person and you're listening you're like yeah everybody knows this I, I get it it's just this is a revelation for me like I didn't I just always was like eyes of the world from without a net that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard I played it a thousand times and every time I'd play it so many times just like I wasn't even in the mood necessarily for just the dead I was in the mood for eyes of the world that version of the Grateful Dead and that's what I would play like just a nice drive on a sunny day such a long nice version just makes you happy every time you hear it it's it's the best and now i feel like recently now discovering the show i now have all of these other songs that i like by the grateful dead with this new little like oomph to them you know and now it's like there's all these other grateful dead songs that i can listen to with branford and and they're all excellent they're all excellent i mean the bird song promised land estimated profit 
Dark Star, uh, The Wheel, Throwing Stones, Turn On Your Love Light, Knocking On Heaven's Door. This show was released as a album in 2014. It is on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. It is available for you if you have not listened to it. If you're a fan of The Grateful Dead and you have not listened to it, listen to it immediately. If, 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 this, uh, if this episode does anything for you, just give that a try. And it gets super jammy, too. The Dark Star is super jammy, super weird. And, yeah, there's plenty of Brent Midland smashing away at his, uh, his little tyke's piano. <laughs> it is a lot of that. It's in the Dark Star, too. And I don't know. I guess I just kind of, I'm kind of blown away personally that I would pick as my favorite show a show with Brent. Something about that 70s dead just sounded less hokey than when Brent came in with that with those sounds. But I, I'm going to say it, this show with Brent, uh, and, and more importantly, more importantly, Brantford, uh, is my top show of all time. And now I'm curious. Now I want to listen to the four other shows with him. I know that after that he did a bunch more, uh, and every time he played with them, they considered it one of the best shows of the year. So now my quest is to listen to more Branford, Marsalis, and Grateful Dead shows. That's, that's my thing right now. Just one piece, I just think, does something so magical for the sound. And he even... I watched an interview with him about it, and he said that he felt like maybe, you know, the guys were playing together for 25 years, you know, same thing every night with the same, not the same show, but the same guys every night. He said he, he did feel like when he came in and set to sit in with them that they all kind of perked up and they all tried to play a little bit harder, try to play a little bit more with a little bit more heart, maybe. he That's at least what he says. He he feels like when they did have someone on stage with them, that that, that did kind of spark something for them. And, and I don't know. I personally, I feel like I hear it. I feel like when I listen to the show, I'm hearing a version of Jerry that is just absolutely masterful like it's just perfection and uh so maybe that is because there was a different guy on stage and uh and this guy also was was just nailing it so so that's it that's my grateful that's my favorite grateful dead show that is my you know that's that's the top for me i finally have one you know i could always tell people my favorite disco biscuit shows i can tell you my favorite fish shows but i never really could tell anyone my favorite grateful dead shows i would just be like oh i like them i like these albums and these time periods but it's not like i could be like this show this is the one and uh and now at least i have something so uh that's that for me i'm gonna shut up uh let's bring on our first guest our first guest his name is kelvin jensen and he is the author of a book called Ground Score to Success. And he's here to talk about his book and talk about tips for how you can ground score your way to success. So let's bring out Kelvin, everybody. Kelvin, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Brother Dave. All right. So you, you wrote a book, Kelvin, about uh, ground scoring. So you... You were a, uh, uh, you're a fish guy. You're on fish lot. That's right. I was on fish lot, living the lot life. And now I'm living the yacht life. All because I learned how to ground score my way to success. Wow, that sounds crazy. I mean, you know, normally you ground scoring little things, little 
half baggies of drugs maybe and maybe a maybe a beer you know no, nothing how, how do you how do you go from that to to being super wealthy which i assume you are oh i am and i'm gonna tell you well then please tell us how did how did you do it how did you go from from wook to wealthy well atd let me tell you hello folks i'm kelvin jensen and today i'm gonna tell you how i went from being a wook to having my own personal cook. How I went from slanging dope to skiing slopes. How I went from sleeping in a van to playing in the sand. How I went from sucking dick for coke to sucking dick because frankly I love to do it, ADD. Fair enough, Kelvin. Folks, you can do it too. Maybe life's been giving you a rough go lately, huh? Got a few too many farmhouses in your set? Got a few too many seeds in your stash? Life's giving you the same old free and a twist? Sure. Well, I'm here to show you how to ground score yourself to success. Okay, great. So how did you do this exactly, Kelvin? Great question, Dave. Well, I mean, it seemed obvious, but, but thanks. I was just like you folks. Broke, living in a van, Scrapping together just enough money from selling bunk acid and grilled cheeses to pay for a hotel, a ticket, and some gas to get to the next show. I looked up to the sky constantly, asking God for help. When you know what, ATD? What, Coven? I should have been looking down the whole time. Because a world of treasures lie at our feet every single show. ATD, did you know that after every single show, there is an average of three to $5,000 of ground scores left on the ground? I did not know that. Wow. That's because I just made that figure up, but it feels right. You see, folks, a few years back, I got out of a Mo show in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was sad to return to my reality. I was dejected and down, staring at the same lot ground for another post-show depression. And that's when it happened. You ground scored? That's correct, above the Dave, I did. I found a debit card. A what? A debit card. And I picked it up. So, so wait, you found another person's debit card? Yes. And I took it and immediately filled up my tank in my van. Bought $1,000 worth of booze, $2,000 worth of food, 10 tanks of nitrous, got my girl a sick pin, and glass bead for her necklace, naturally. And then next show, I sold all the nitrous and booze on Fishlot and invested it all in Bitcoin. That Bitcoin is now worth over $2 million, ADD. Well, one million dollars. It was two million earlier today, and you know how it is. So, uh, sorry, Kelvin. Uh, I'm sorry. I was under the impression that you were going to tell us a story of how I found item after item walking around with a metal detector or something, and then sold the item slowly over time to amass a massive wealth. <laughs> no, 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 no. That would take way too long. Well, you got very lucky that person is so wealthy. Was, above the Dave, was wealthy. Yeah, I mean, so what? Your trick is to just, what, steal people's money? He's getting it, folks! All right. You see, 
people drop their cards all the time, and people return them all the time. But what I'm saying is, what if we don't return them? And then go and spend that money and invest in ourselves. Again, uh, stealing, you mean, stealing. Investing in ourselves above the Dave. Okay, uh, well, Kelvin, so what? You, you wrote a book on how to spend someone else's money, basically? Not basically, ATD. Effectively. And it can be yours for $19.99. And, uh, okay, Kelvin, so how can people order this insane book? Easy. Just visit my website at www.groundscoretosuccess.com and enter your debit card information and we will send you this incredible step-by-step how-to manual. Yeah, I don't know if people are going to give you their debit cards willingly. Oh, we don't steal anyone's information. Uh Uh-huh. No, we honestly don't. Okay. However, we do write their card info down on slips of paper, which we leave on lot for others who read the book to then ground score themselves to success. Okay, thank you so much, Kelvin, for coming by the studio and uh, pitching your new completely ludicrous book. Pleasure being here. And remember, you too can ground score yourself to success. All right, Kelvin Jensen, everybody. All right, we'll keep the show moving. Our next segment is a very popular one here. It is uh, us picking some of our favorite, choiciest, juiciest, sexiest disco biscuit jams from the past. And they are recreated by our house band because we do not have the rights to play the music of the Disco Biscuits. However, we have an excellent house band here. They're the Prison Pajamas, and they've been crushing it. Today's jam is a recent version of The Great Abyss, one of my favorite Disco Biscuits songs. Um, This was a performance that the Biscuits did uh, pretty recently at a middle school in Pennsylvania. Um, I believe it was a talent show of sorts. Uh, Not sure how they got on the bill. I believe they were the headliner of this particular talent show at Clark Middle School in Reading, Pennsylvania. So in a middle school auditorium in front of about 300 middle schoolers. We did reach out to some of the students who were in attendance to kind of get in a, you know, a feel for for how the show was um, since, you know, us fans couldn't, get into that middle school and uh you know we we really didn't want to bring them on because most of them just said that it was really stupid and lame and um you know middle schoolers suck you know fucking middle schoolers a bunch of fucking losers so you know we decided not to not to bring any of them on uh with their stupid opinions because what do they know about anything but um you know once we got our hands on some of the jams from this epic um performance of the disco biscuits you know, we had to we had to share it, and then of course we couldn't. So here we are. Uh, I got a clip of the biscuits. This is back in February at Clark Middle School in Reading, Pennsylvania, and this is the Great Abyss. Let's let's play that clip. Prison pajamas.
Well, there you have it, folks. That is the uh, the clip. Well done again by the Prison Pajamas. Really uh, a great uh, a great little biscuit cover band that we seem to have here, and uh, we appreciate all of your hard work in recreating that. Sounds like straight fire. So um, again, you know, for the middle schoolers who were in attendance, you know, screw you guys. You're a bunch of fucking lamos. All right, if you can't appreciate a sick abyss, then you know. You're probably just going to grow up and be a fucking loser. <laughs> you know, I just hope there was a few middle schoolers who were in attendance that day and, you know, that they became, you know, new fans um, of the of the transfusion, Jamtronica. Guys, we're going to keep the show moving right along. Thanks to Vinny, our talent booker. We got someone that I'm very excited to bring out here right now. This guy plays keyboards and he plays guitar for one of the hottest bands in the nation right now. Uh, one of the hottest jam bands everybody's talking about. And we are very excited to have this guy, finally, you know, like an actual member from this band to come on and uh, and have like a real talk with him. He's, he seems like a super friendly dude and he's always just kind of bouncing back and forth between guitar and piano, guitar and piano. And he just, you know, just seems like a fun, cool guy, you know, so very excited to bring him out here. Uh, his name is Peter Ansbach, and he is from the band Goose. So let's bring him out here, everybody. Peter, come on out. Peter, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. I know that you guys are all over the place. Albums, tours, and I know you're very busy. So thank you so much. Um, how you, how are you how are you doing today? Oh. And you're not doing good? Mamma mia! What's, what's wrong? Let's go! Uh, okay, so so Peter, uh, you play guitar. Oh, yeah, I see that. Playing that guitar. There you are. And then, but you also, uh, you also play piano. Oh, okay. Now you're playing piano. Okay. And guitar again. See ya, see ya. Playing that guitar. Hey, back to that piano. Hey, look at you, huh? Peter, what... How are you guys handling all this new found success? You enjoying it? What do you think the future holds for, for Goose? Let's go! Right, Peter, I see you playing that guitar, and that's cool. Hey, hey, Peter, bud, bud. So what does it feel like to be kind of like the darlings right now of the jam world? Mamma mia! You know, one thing that's kind of cool about you guys, Peter, is that, you know, you write, you know, kind of these more serious songs. Some, you know, a lot of jam bands, they, their, their songs are a little goofier, but your, your stuff seems like, like a little deeper, you know, it's got a little more soul and heart to it, which I think is cool, you know? <laughs> so Peter, tell me about your story. Where, where did you grow up? Ow, whoa, 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 whoa. Peter, when did you, when did you start playing guitar? Did, did you play piano first or guitar first? Let's go. Peter, you, you don't have you don't have to play guitar right now. Oh no, you don't have you don't have to play piano either. No, that. Yeah, no, I can see you, I can see you, you're playing you're playing both instruments, and that's cool. You're going back and forth. You know, we're all very very impressed by that. But if you, um, yeah, if you could just 
just give me a couple minutes. I just want to ask you a couple, just just a couple of questions here. Mamma mia, Peter. So I mean, a lot of the guys are from from Connecticut, which is my my hometown. Ooh. What? What's what's wrong with Connecticut? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's like not that much cool stuff coming from coming from Connecticut, so. I, I thought it was cool. Let's go. Well, whatever. Um, so I've never seen you guys live, but what would you say are some of the things that I can expect when I see a goose show live? <laughs> yeah, I got. I know you're playing the guitar and you're playing. The, and I know. I see you're playing. The, okay, piano. I got it. I got you. No, you're very talented. Very talented guy. We can all. We're all very impressed by you. What's been the hardest part of being a band with the name Goose? Is there a reason you're called Goose? Is that, am I missing something? Like, out of all the names that you were choosing, like, you know, what were the other names? I mean, how, like Moose? Was like Moose? Was it like Moose? I mean, what were what were the other options? Because, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like you could have done better than Goose. Do you have, okay. Well, do you have a preference? Like, what do you like more? Do you like playing guitar more? Or do you like, you like playing piano more? Mamma mia! Guitarist sounds cooler than pianist, I've always felt, you know? Let's go! Do you play guitar so that you're not just labeled as the pianist? Ow, wow, 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 wow! They'll be like, you're the, you're the goose penis? You're the, you're the penis on a goose? I'm the, I'm no, I'm the goose, I'm the, I'm the goose pianist. And they're like, you're the, you're the, Goose penis? And you're like, no, I'm the goose penis. And they're like, you're you're a goose's penis? And they're like, you're like, no, I'm the... Fuck, I'll play guitar just so I could be the goose multi-instrumentalist. Is that really kind of what it came down to? <laughs> you know, you guys are kind of in that spot right now where there's, there's so much talk about you that, you know, you've um, agitated the fish people because enough people are like, goose is the next fish. Do you, do you think you're the next fish, or do you think you're the first goose? Uh, is that not a good... That's You didn't like that one either? Okay. Let's go! Wait, what was that sound? Is that the sound of this interview ending? Let's go! Damn. Okay. Uh, all right, I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. Last question for you, Peter. And I know you guys have a really strong following. I don't know if they're called like a flock or whatever, but they, uh, you know, they're really into you and and uh, they're really into you guys. And, you know, I just want to know. I mean, uh, I guess we'll leave with this, right? Tell me this, all right? You're in Lot and a bunch of your fans are doing balloons, all right? And... Uh, and then, you know, you decide to hit a balloon, too. You know, you know, show's over. Let's have some fun. Okay? Give me an impression of uh, of you ripping a big, fat balloon of nitrous, Peter. Let's go! That's about as good as this interview is going to get. Uh, thank you so much, Peter, for coming by the Lot Scene podcast today. It was, uh, it was very interesting to talk with you. Thank you so much. That is Peter from Goose, everybody. All righty. Well, everyone, that has been our episode today. I want to thank Kelvin Jensen, author of Ground Score to Success. I'd like to thank again the Prison Pajamas for uh, an excellent rendition of Great Abyss. 
and for Peter Ansbach, the multi-instrumentalist from Goose, for coming by the studio today. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the first time I ever saw the New Deal. It's kind of a fun story, and I'd like to share it with you guys. Also, Trey Anastasio from Fish and Chris Kuroda, CK5, are going to be coming by the studio to chat with us. And then we are going to speak with the Unts. That's right, the Unts is coming by to tell us what the Unts is. And then finally, my favorite band in the world is coming by to chat. That is the Disco Biscuits. And we're going to talk a little bit with them about their new studio tracks they've been dropping. So thank you once again for listening. I always appreciate it. And if you're enjoying this, please uh, leave me a review. Uh, rate. Give me, the, give me the five stars. Leave me a review. Uh, tell your friends. All that would be much appreciated. Follow us on Instagram. We're out there. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week on The Lot Scene.